Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adventures in the Veil, an RPG discussion podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Ross. Sit back and relax by the fire, for there are tales to be told. I'll have that right out. What do you need to play a tabletop role-playing game? What even is a tabletop role-playing game? Many of us have felt that we were tapping into something very primal and lost when we discovered the hobby. Despite its wargaming roots, there's something to this that's akin to the lore that arises from a fire from our ancestors tens of thousands of years ago. This art of spontaneous, participative storytelling feels nearly lost today. I've only seen it in the dances, on Bali, in the liturgies of the high ancient Christian church. Something deep, simple, and accessible is going on here. Can you play a tabletop role-playing game if you're unable to roll dice? Can you do it when you're five years old? When you're 80? People like Jim Parkin have been digging at this primordial aspect of spontaneous, participative storytelling for a while now. The results are fascinating. Months of gameplay can pass without a single dice roll. When I played in Jim's game, I forgot I had a character sheet. I simply inhabited a character in the world. All of the barriers of rules and restrictions between me and that experience began to slip away as we focused on all of the interesting situations that surrounded us. All of Jim's creative talent as a game master was oriented toward that one goal. Jim's way of playing is a style of play often called the Free Creekspill Renaissance. For a difference in the way military planners approached war games and war planning a long time ago. The misconception for those that have heard of this style of play is that it has no rules. I've not found that to be the case at all. Oftentimes the game will have rules for how the Game Master might produce results, limitations on how the Game Master could convey the world or what the characters can do, but the greatest authority is the shared fiction. If you're running an FKR game and it's set in Star Wars, you can use a blaster to shoot a door control panel and shut it, and it's that simple. If the participants know what Star Wars is, they know that's a rule in the world. No amount of mechanical rules that act as a filter that could slow down gameplay will help or hinder the amount of communication and sharing ultimately needed so that everyone operates on that shared fiction. This style of gameplay is better summed up in Jim's amazing game Weird North. A sword and sorcery toolbox fit for a table not bound by mechanical rules and searching through rule books for answers. Instead, the principles of play are better thought of as the rules. For the players, this includes not seeing your character sheet as a limit to what you can do, not rushing into fights you can't win, asking questions, exploring the world, being curious. It's more important to be curious and ask questions about the world than to have any skill or number or item in the game. For referees, this means liberally offering real and useful information. If something's possible for the players, you simply allow it, and you don't impose a mechanical filter. If the players come up with a sensible or clever plan, it just happens. Filling the world with interesting choices and constantly clarifying the world and its information if things become vague. Perhaps most importantly, there's diegesis. The experience of play, what happens in the world, is more important than math, abilities, or meta-elements. If your character can slip up behind the villain and they can put a dagger to their throat, it will kill, regardless of hit points or armor class. This style of gameplay can be a huge departure for many in the hobby from what they know. But if it can be learned and mastered, you can find yourself in a car ride with your five-year-old nephew or your child, and you can have just as rich 
of an emerging tabletop story experience than any $60 hardcover with special cards and proprietary dice and digital toolkits and GM screens could ever possibly provide. My name is Ross, also known as Mythic Mountains, and welcome to the Adventures in the Veil Tavern cast and the Crozy Crow Tavern. Pull up a chair, order a drink, warm yourself by the fire this evening. We're here with game designer and a leader of a unique gameplay style that we're going to talk about tonight within the tabletop role-playing game community named Jim Parkin. And as always, we're here to talk about tabletop role-playing games. And it's always my delight to do so. Yeah, I know. Uh, mine too. I uh, I think that's almost like a pillar of play for me is just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so tell us um, who you are. Tell us, uh, especially in relation to tabletop role-playing games, who's uh, Jim Parkin? Yeah, I'm Jim Parkin. I am by day a classical humanities teacher and by all my other time am balancing being a father of many small children and writing uh, Weird North, Any Planet is Earth, Galaxy Far Away, Villains Fly Zeppelins, all sorts of little pet projects that I've written over the last few years, some of which are larger and certainly more substantial than others. Um, But uh, I have spent most of my time innovating or at least iterating in more of the free-form space of very rules-light role-playing games. Okay, compared to maybe like the brand name role-playing game, the world's most sure. famous role-playing game. Yes, indeed. Yeah, something uh, a bit simpler than that. Okay, how did you get started in tabletop role-playing? It is an interesting story, I think, because it was kind of accidental. Uh, perhaps that is other people's experience as well. But I was actually a part of a once-monthly board game club with some friends from college and other peers locally um, and so we would you know kind of pull a last ditch all-nighter as adults play a bunch of board games uh, you know beer and snacks and the like and then one day somebody had said what if next time I brought in a quote one shot for D&D and I didn't know what one shot meant means and I vaguely knew what D&D was but I grew up in a household where despite us being weird people in our own rights, we thought that the people who played RPGs were the actual weird people. So that was never a part of my experience. Uh, I think only once earlier on, I actually also accidentally played Star Wars D6 with one friend and was later chastised by my parents for indulging in such a thing. So (laughs) that was the environment out of which I grew. Not really like a satanic panic or anything. I just think they thought it was a waste of time even though I yeah. was allowed to like play video games. So I frankly f- will never understand that logic. But I didn't really know what I was missing until I was already well into my 20s. So I came into the hobby as an adult, starting with this offer of a, a kind of a one-shot with 5th edition D&D, and it was a blast. I loved it. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, um, and I, I don't even know if I really had a truly formulated idea of what a role-playing game was by the time I sat down to do it. But I still had a lot of fun. And so then I had followed up with the guy who offered to run that game and said, hey, do you do this more often? We didn't really live nearby, so it was still going to always be in every other thing. But I said, I'd be up for doing this again if you wanted to. So I, you have at least one willing player, even though I don't really understand it. But I'm having a good time. Let's work it out. And that led to his offer of saying, um, I do a lot of play-by-post games on various forums online. It's obviously not the same as face-to-face, but would you want to join one of those? And then you can kind of play all the time. So I thought, that seems like a great idea. So I got with him, and uh, I pretty much just dove off the deep end at that point because I had at my fingertips not only a lot of people who were willing to do it with me and to kind of show me different ways that people play these games and what different ones are, but I also could try a lot of different stuff with really like barely any commitment or buy-in. Because uh, yeah. there's usually people saying like, hey, I'll run X or I'll run Y or I'll run Z. And I've never heard of X, Y, and Z, but I could just sit down and say, sure, I'll do that. So over the course of the next year, I did that a lot. Yeah. What do you think it, what was the thing that you were like, wow, I'm staying with this. I'm going to keep doing this. What was it about these role-playing games that really sure. 
you know, now you and I, we, uh, we talk about it all the time and we love it, you know, so like, what, what was that thing you think that, that, that led that, you know, that key ingredient, what, what was mm-hmm. that? I think it's a two prong thing. One is that I had mentioned, like I, I played strategy board games my whole life. My family still does all the time. I love deep fixed scenarios and it was that fixed element that I always really like about board games. So for instance, if somebody says, hey, here, we're gonna play this board game, but I've got a house rule. I'm like, get your house rule out of here. That's not a part of the deal. Like the whole point is that we trust the designer to have put together something concrete and fixed, and we're gonna play in that framing. If you start house ruling stuff, like you're not a game designer, you know what balance is, you have no clue what you're doing, it ruins that. Whereas I've always wondered, you know, what is the situation, though, when a, quote, house rule is a fun thing and a positive element and something that should be expected and, and encouraged, to which I then thought, well, I mean, my brother, who's much older than I am, he grew up playing in the heyday of the late 80s and 90s, early 90s for, like, Shadowrun and Battletech and all these mega-crunchy super RPGs, and I thought, well, I guess that's where you would do that. Um, so with that in mind, when I did start playing, I realized... It really is a very, very different category of play that goes on here. This is where you do come to say, I don't know if something covers this with a rule, but I would like to try it, which obviously is anathema if you're playing a serious like board game one versus one or like playing Android Netrunner or card game or something where, of course, if you break the rules, that you ruin the game. Um, so I think it was the first, it was probably like the second or third time I was really playing Dungeons and Dragons where... I, I think I had like a low-level rogue or some something like that, and there was a chicken that was involved in the scene, and it was totally superfluous. It was just like set dressing, like, hey, you're kind of in this market, you know, there's some pots over here, there's a chicken in a cage over here, there's a guy selling baguettes, whatever. Totally superfluous, but over the course of play, that chicken ended up becoming a critical, like, non-player character in the motivation for said rogue that I was playing. And it was totally happenstance, and it was just kind of a joke and a gaffe. Uh, but the the guy who was running the game thought it was hilarious, so he just rolled with it. And all of a sudden, this was like a deep character motivation for me, was ensuring the survival of this chicken. And I realized, surely you can't do this anywhere else. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that... I think that's it. Yeah, I, that doesn't actually like define it or anything but it describes it it's like yeah that chicken suddenly becoming the the center of gravity of my character right now in this uh and there's there's no way you could have planned for that you can't uh there's just some kind of magic uh Mm -hmm. and and i don't i don't know how to i guess the the technical term would just be emergent gameplay right yeah yeah where the, the whole point is yeah if i had scripted that this is important to my character. He has a chicken. I mean, maybe that could be fun. Uh, I'm sure I've seen other people do like little pets and things for characters that do end up having significance, but I think it was just the happenstance of it. And that, um, you know, it was like, I just saw uh, the dungeon master's eyes. He made eye contact with me and we're talking about this chicken and just something about it. We both said, let's just roll with it. You know, it's like an an unspoken new social contract about this ridiculous animal. So, yeah, it's something about that where it just popped to me that we can have fun telling stories together and it doesn't have to be super serious because I think that's another part is that I, I wondered if the hobby was so serious all the time um, because that's the impression I got. Like my local game store, I would go, again, not to pursue RPG stuff as other parts of the gaming hobby. And it just looked like it was so much work and so much to do and people were taking it so seriously um, that it didn't look fun, frankly. Like, I didn't see a lot of people laughing and, and smiling. I saw a lot of people, like, oh, wow. heads down, like, we got to make sure we do it right, which sounded stressful and uninteresting to me. But what I find is that now, especially many years later, I mean, the best parts of role-playing games are just laughing with your friends and your peers and being, you know, like, that joke is still funny an hour later and we keep bringing it up because of whatever happened in gameplay. And it's amusing because you're riffing off of other people, whether you know them really well or not. It, it affords a kind of neutralizing, equalizing platform. It's just, it's just fun, you know. So that element where a story can just emerge and come out unexpected and surprise you and everyone, including the dungeon master, is one of the things that that kept you in it, and and you kept Absolutely. doing it, and then you started making stuff, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, cool. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I, I think of it sometimes um, on this podcast. I, I talk about folk RPGs, folk versus mm-hmm. brand, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to go into right now. I mention it into the podcast and stuff. But uh, folk hobbies sometimes have that quality where when you go into it, you don't know what you're going to get out of it, but you get surprised. When you go fishing, you don't have a guaranteed outcome. When you go hiking, you're going there to discover something. Something's going to unfold for you, and you don't know what it is yet. And um, uh, RPGs have a way of doing that in a really condensed and uh, affordable way. <laughs> Just some dice and pencil and paper. Yeah, and that's, that's for it. sure. I mean, at this point, I, I spend a lot of time, like, I'll drive around running errands with my kids in the car, and my oldest son, who's eight, will just be like, Dad, can we play an adventure game? We don't have That's anything. so great. We just, we, I can't even see him. He's sitting in the seat behind me, but it, we don't need anything. I mean, it's fun to have all sorts of swanky dice and fun hardcover books and, you know, some deluxe bespoke DM screen, whatever. All that's good, but it's patently unnecessary. And anyone who says otherwise, I absolutely disagree with you, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> Those are also parenting goals now for me, so. Okay, so you mentioned games that were uh, simpler uh, as in contrast to games that were very complicated. Now, uh, so when you first started playing D&D, uh, when it was when, when it was provided, I assumed that it must have been, because it was a one-shot, there must have been some way of transmitting it, because this was my experience, mm-hmm. where it's like, look, we're not going to go into what a proficiency bonus is. We'll get to that yeah. later, because <laughs> otherwise you'll just never play. But yeah, yeah. at some point, you probably confronted the, now we're going to figure out what a proficiency bonus is, and uh, bounded accuracy, and uh, the advancement chart, and... Right. The you know and um, uh, you know difficult terrain and the the different status conditions versus the, and different damage types and so at some point that arrived and and you said uh, you know it could be simpler. What was your like transition into that simpler world and what who? So I will, what, I, yeah, yeah. I will start by simply saying also I I do not dislike where I came from in this hobby, nor do I disparage anybody who prefers that because I love the incredible variety of games and things we have at our fingertips. Like there is yeah, truly something for everyone. There is something for everyone. Um, I, 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 don't wanna, my, I don't want to interrupt yeah. you, but I, yeah. I, I do want to note, I love crunchy games. I got some going on right now where they're full of all kinds of rules sure. and stuff. So yeah, sure. I, uh, and I don't disparage uh, people for, I, no, I, I, love, I do, I love all the different kinds of uh uh, games and, and styles and stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's a that's a feature too. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. I, I, so I think it was is when I I had a specific example. Uh, I was a character that I was using in the quote, world's most popular role playing game that was modeled off of professional WWE SmackDown wrestler Dwayne the nice. Rock Johnson, who this remains one, one of my favorite pop culture heroes. And I just like I, I, you know, mechanically I built the guy. He can he can do a lot of actions. He can talk smack, and that actually means something, you know, translate into the scene. Uh, and I just wanted to lay the smack down on jabronis left and right. And I did that kinda, but multiple different places where I kind of ported this character idea. No matter what I did, numerically or ability wise. I always ran into the situation of like, uh, I think, Jim, you're trying to do too much with this character at one time. I'm like, well, I mean, this is what The Rock would do. He'd pick a guy up and he'd throw at another guy. You might knock three people over and into a table. Like, what does that look like? And like, well, I, I don't know. Is it like unarmed damage? Because I don't really have a precedent for that. And that's where I started to see friction between the goofiness of the fiction that is natural and the limitations of how some nets can't catch that material. Um, so I realized, like, okay, there is something that I need to get. I need to go look elsewhere if if there's a way to translate this well. Because again, being not naive, but just kind of ignorant of the scene, when I got into it, I didn't really know much about all role playing games. Not to say that I'm an expert now, but I really kind of thought, well, people just play whatever is the one that's currently being popular, right? Because why would they make new editions if people right. weren't going to play them? And that led 
into story gaming a lot because I kind of hard rubber banded out of more of a dungeon. What is what game. is story gaming? Story gaming in the sense is, of yeah. um, I'm sure there are multiple definitions, but I so for instance I I was looking was like how do you how do you play? I basically googled like how do you play a professional wrestler in D and D? Yeah. <laughs> And the first thing that came up was Worldwide Wrestling, which is a play by Power by the Apocalypse game. And I'm like, what the heck is Powered by the Apocalypse? But there's a game all about wrestling. So I'm like, cool. So I looked up that and I didn't know anything about um, the kind of Apocalypse Engine games, which I had been introduced to under the auspice of this is a story game, where it's less about simulating um, kind of infinite options. It's more about like you want to just play a genre well or make sure that everything that you're doing is more about the narrative and not the numbers. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds good. I, I don't really know any different. So played a lot of worldwide wrestling. And then that led me to like the original Apocalypse World and then Monster of the Week, which is still my favorite of those because I love kind of the paranormal anyway. So that was an easy fit for me. Um, and I played these for a while, and then I went to looser stuff like um, John Harper's games, like Ghost Echo and uh, Lady Blackbird, and similar ideas that were becoming even, and like World of Dungeons that he did, right. uh, where it's increasingly minimalist. Um, but then I found, too, like still some of those were telling me that I, I have to do some things some ways, right. and I can't do some things other ways. And I guess at this point, Ross, this is a, a, maybe two years into my playing RPGs pretty regularly, where I thought, if this is supposed to basically be like the world of infinite imagination, why are there so many clauses that say you can and cannot do X and Y? Right. Yeah, like, first of all, I want to note that if I had a nickel for every time so far having a 5e pro wrestler character was brought up on this podcast... <laughs> I'd have maybe 15 cents, which is not a lot, but that's still a weird number. But it's of happened a few times. And the legacy of Vince McMahon is very deep. Its roots go very deep. And um, I think what's really interesting about what you're describing is that it's not that um, you came at it from, man, there's just too many rules. So that's not what I'm hearing you say. Uh, it's not that like, well, how can I just cut all these rules and get down to the essence or the fluff? Because sometimes when people talk about rules that and they, and they want it to have less rules, I mean, th that's me, to be honest. Sometimes it's like, man, can I just do this without having to do all this work? But I don't hear you saying that. What I'm hearing you say is the problem was actually that um, problem was actually that you wanted to do more that you, you, you actually wanted to do more and the rules uh, kept preventing you from trying to do that. Um, yeah, I would say it's not that there were too many rules telling me to do too many things. It was that more often it was like, mm, well, pump the brakes there. That's not exactly how we do it around these parts. That was more of the feel of why can't I, why can't we just agree that this is common sense? Um, and, and I got a lot of that through this quote story game. I realized probably diehard story gamers are screaming because that's not what a story game is by my definition. I don't know. But what I mean to say is I, I can still not really fully satisfied there either. And then it, I think for me, what really clicked was the openness. It was this duality of, um, I'll just, I'll, I landed at Classic Traveler, and I forget even where I found Traveler at this point. I, I know if I could look back through maybe my notes, I would find it somewhere, but at some point I was introduced to Classic Traveler because I've always loved science fiction, like speculative near future, you know, space truckers and whatnot. Great idea. I just didn't know there was a good game that, in fact, was one of the original, like out there from the primordial soup of early role-playing. Um, so I got into Classic Traveler, and I think what clicked for me there was two things. One is that very deliberately, on purpose, by design, this is the way we expect you to use this game, is we don't have a storyline, we don't have a plot, we don't have, you know, hard rails to go on. That's just simply not the way to The whole point is that emergent gameplay. Here's a random table. You roll a few times on this and generate a patron, and then you roll a few times to find out what that patron wants, and then you roll a few times to find out what that patron will pay you. And then you basically just present that to the players in the fiction and then let her rip. It wow, was amazing yeah. to me. I loved it because the whole idea was like, 
no two tables will ever go through these same prompts and do the same thing. Yeah. Which to me is really what a quote story game is, is where you're just actually treating the game world with some common sense, like a real place and just going where it takes you. You have yeah. the agency to do stuff. You're not being told what to do or what not to do. Maybe it makes sense that there are roadblocks in your way. Sure. But if they're grounded in the fiction of the story, that makes a lot more sense than arbitrary and now this you cannot do or this you may. Um, yeah. So that was yeah. one part of it. And I think the other part was just simply like there were lots of little mechanical tools and procedures in Traveler even then, even in its earliest iteration. So it wasn't just you know, I'm just going to wing it the whole time. It wasn't this arbitrary right. exercise. The difference was that that stuff was always used in service to play, not the other way around. And that's yeah. baked into the DNA of Classic Traveler. And that just thought, that to me was uh, eye-opening, revelatory, like absolutely changed and satisfied what I was looking for. I, I had a similar experience, I think, when I went to older versions of D&D because mm. um, I think what I experienced with D&D &D, which is called Dungeons and Dragons and when I played it and ran it for years no one actually cared about going into a dungeon and getting treasure or fighting a monster in, no in reality that's not actually what they wanted to do what they wanted was you went on this journey with your friends as fantasy characters and you had this backdrop of having some kind of quest which no one ultimately remembers but instead, the hijinks and shenanigans that arose from that um, w was what we really wanted. And so uh, discovering a thing that says, you know what, why don't we just go straight to the hijinks and like mm -hmm. create an engine that just generates hijinks. And, and we just do that and it comes out and then a story will thread together from that. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, it, to me, it's almost like the difference between planning a play or a, 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 a kind of theater or something uh, or anything that has a kind of expected resolution where you have an outcome you know you want, um, which is art. That's fine. Versus when I go hiking, I don't know the resolution. I'm going there because something's going to come out of it and I don't know what it is. And I'm, I'm doing it because... I want to be in that position. <laughs> I want to be in the position of discovery and surprise. And uh, and then after the fact, I'm going to tell a story about what I saw. But there's no way to actually have that set. Um, yeah, that, that's really cool. And I also really like that you, you, you noted that this, the, this thing that you're talking about is not just ran. It's not random or arbitrary. It, it actually has, it's got a, it's a, there's a goal that you're trying to get to. Yes, uh, one of the best insults that was ever given to me in the hobby uh, was when I, I, I had more time in the past to frequent the forums at RPGGeek.com. That's where I did a lot of my early play-by-forum stuff, so I had a so soft spot in my heart for that strange old website. And there would be like kind of a daily discussion question, and I, I eventually made a reputation for myself of like always asking behind other people's responses, like why why do things have to always be this way? Why could you be a little more flexible? Is there is there something your player wants that maybe you just can't cover? Like make something up, work with them about it, um, and. So the, the straw man that was leveled against me, which is still the header of my blog, is the original poster has a long history of considering randomless group storytelling to be a game. You know, and I could picture from the other side of that monitor like a monocle being adjusted <laughs> or something, you know, yeah, a yeah. puff of a cigar, <laughs> like, we got him, boys, he's toast now. Um, uh, and, and because... I found, as, as you were teasing out there, Ross, that almost every time I was talking about the way that I would go about something, it was perceived as, oh, well, you're just going to wave your hand in the air and, like, you know, make something up, pull something out of nowhere. Uh, like, that's not a game. That's, there's, there, there are no stakes. There's nothing going on. When, when in my like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to be arbitrary. I would not want to sit at a table where it's arbitrary. I mean, even, even some of the more, like, quote, gonzo settings, I rub me along the wrong way a little bit because it is seemingly like just put everything into a blender and spit it out. Now, I've played many games in those settings that are fun, but more conceptually, I am very opposed to arbitrary gameplay, but I don't think that you safeguard yourself from arbitrariness by just building a fortress of procedure 
and rules and crunch that like no one can touch me because I, I have the answer to every question. At that point, I, I would say you're the one who's not playing a game because you're 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 like playing an insecurity. <laughs> it yeah. seems very strange to me. Um, so yeah, not arbitrary by anything. But and I I would also make this argument and, and normally people shoot me down on this one, but I, I do still believe it, is that even if you had no dice, if you do a diceless game, which I've done a lot of, I really enjoy, like literally, like, a, like driving around my son and just going to the supermarket, like we have 15 minutes, let's go through a forest together. We can do that. We don't need arbitration from a tool. Because I think what, what people will push back, I've gotten pushed back here before, is that people themselves are random generators. Like, I do not know what you are going to say if I even give you a prompt. That itself yeah. is, in my mind, like rolling proverbial dice because I don't know what your outcome is going to be. And if you multiply that by a few other people, well, they don't know what that person's outcome is going to be. And But you're going to riff on those back and forth. So sure, we can roll dice to adjudicate an outcome, whatever. I, I like doing that. I love dice. But they are absolutely not necessary. And we underestimate the raw random generation potential of just people talking to each other with a context they agree upon. If we have shared stakes, you don't need any other tools but your minds and your attention to do something quite spectacular together. Yeah. And even when you say random generation, we're almost kind of using a hobby term, but in a way it's not it's not even random. <laughs> it has right. an order to it. It has a sure. it has a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not order so much. Uh... Let me let me give you a, a context here. I, I think a, another distinction does get at the semantics there is there's a difference between input randomness and output randomness. Okay. So input randomness is, you know, like there are a lot of different factors um, that you may not have control over, but you can then use those to your benefit to generate an outcome that is orderly. Output randomness is, that's the arbitrary. Like, no matter what you do, who knows what's going to happen? And now this is happening. And now, whatever, you know, you have no agency. I don't care what you say you're going to do. It doesn't matter. That is the, that's the straw man, is the output randomness. I like right. the input randomness side of the equation, where it's like, sure, look, that's the whole point of why I enjoy being a referee, because I get the whole world at my fingertips, and I present it to the players. They're going to find out new information all the time. They're going to be bombarded by variables they can't control, but it's what they then do with those variables that is very much their agency and their authority and what I what I show up to find out what happens that is to see what players do with what I present them I don't know what the outcome is I, and a I lot of times those it. are those are like the two most memorable things for players like they're not going to remember in my experience the big overarching plot and the villain's plan to bring about uh, the ancient artifact that's going to unleash the the undead on on the uh, the city of Grimwire. No, no one's going to care or remember that. But but what they remember instead and enjoy is they'll remember the interactions they have with each other, including uh, moments where they got to make a decision. Those things are enjoyable. And then they also remember the hijinks, the things that come out that are yep. unexpected. <laughs> uh, I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, I have an ongoing local table uh, in Gavin Norman's Dolmanwood setting that's been, shoot, almost, it's probably about to clock in about three years. It's been a fantastic game. We've been going on forever. Back when there was just like worm skin and some blog posts for the, the setting, we had at least a seven or eight month calendar time arc where one one player's character had been cursed and the curse was slowly killing them and they had all these leads to find out like ways to break this curse and they went through multiple dungeons they almost got killed by unicorns there was they went through like the fairy realms three or four different one of those they went all over the place trying to find a cure for this curse they do it they succeed they break the curse and the next session, that same player walks up to a vat of acid, breaks it, and instantly dies. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I wish I could share with you the facial expressions of all the other players looking at that player, whom they just basically said that most of this year has been spent trying in all these ridiculous ways to fix you, and you killed yourself in raw stupidity <laughs> one hour later. It was it was tremendous, and it's like 
I can't plan that, and I wouldn't want to plan that. And I, I cannot belly laugh and guffaw as I did, except that it happens naturally. That's, that's the stuff. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so you made this journey where you discovered this um, game where a story comes out of the interactions between people. It's got layers of rules. You start peeling that apart. You discover powered by the apocalypse and, uh, you know, the apocalypse world type stuff. And, um, and then you keep, you dig further and you find this, uh, this, uh, style of play that is, um, oriented, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but oriented toward, we really are, we want this to emerge we want this to be about the interactions between us and to see what happens on that not to say that there is never dice or never some other tool or some rule or table but all of that stuff will come after prioritizing the interactions between us the choices we make the world that is there and then seeing what comes out of that after that um yeah and then you wrote well, you got a, a blog. We'll put all this at the end um, in the description. Uh, and you wrote several things. Um, but you wrote Weird North, uh, which I'm going to do. I, I have a review at the beginning of this podcast uh, of, of Weird North and my experience with it as a player in your game. Um, and uh, so why did you – why write these things? So you, you like, discover the style of play. You're enjoying it. And you're like, I, I also want to create this stuff. Why did you create it? Uh, I think the the most simple answer is that there is, I think, if you are becoming more tenured as a referee, as somebody who's running the game and not necessarily playing the game, there's just going to be a point where you try your hand at doing it yourself from scratch. Like there is that DIY aspect of old school D&D and its adjacents. It's just kind of like an infectious bug. Like, you just have to at least try, here's my house rule. Or what if I made my house rule just a little more robust, and then, like, now it's a supplement, and I can use the S word. It's a supplement. You know, now this is a real thing. Trademark it, whatever. There's a, there's a creator's joy in that, um, of porting your musings that are going, you know, just back between the sides of your head into something tangible. So there's, there's that as an element. The other is so, like, I absolutely love Classic Traveler, but even Classic Traveler, in some ways, in my impression, had an overemphasis on if you're going to lean into that more mechanical side, you were spending a whole lot of time pausing from the gameplay to figure out dice modifiers. Okay, you're 40 feet away, but also you got a plus two in this skill, but you don't have a plus one over here, and, well, is there, you know, what's the gravity level? The kind of thing where all of a sudden that takes me out of it. Like, I, I appreciate why that nuance is there, but it's not doing anything for me. So I had started with Any Planet is Earth, which was like a six-page kind of Maze Rat-style sci-fi toolkit, and it was trying to take kind of um, Chris McDowell's uh, ideas, you know, he'd been the guy who wrote Into the Odd and um, Electric Bastion Land and whatnot, taking that style where he was trying to radically simplify original D&D, which itself was already pretty simple, just like Classic Traveler is pretty simple, but trying to just say, like, what is the layer that I can peel off and it still does what I want it to do? How many times can I do that? You had mentioned that earlier today, of that kind of radical minimalism. I kind of did that for Traveler and really enjoy the process. I mean, people say they like Any, any Planet is Earth. I, I do, but I don't. I'm like it's okay. I love it. It's it's a very very. I, fresh I use it in Traveler document. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that game, quote unquote, that I wrote. I mean, it was pretty rough. I really didn't know what I was doing, but it was fun to do, and I've had good feedback. But a big part of that too is how, what are all the random tables for this genre of play that I don't have? I guess I'll just write them myself, because I I will never. I will never see a random table go out of style. That's my favorite part of this style of play. It's like, and again, that's the input randomness. Okay, here are a bunch of things that suddenly are valid inf points of information. Now what do I do with them? Even as a referee, yeah. that's how I craft my plots or my, my situations or my locales or my non-player characters. Like, I've got five keywords. Now how do I put those together? It's like a little puzzle. Um, but I've, I've always loved... The aforementioned into the odd approach. It's kind of a sweet spot for me of 
mechanical complexity, like you've got enough meat on the bones that it entices somebody to say, I just made something. But it's so open-ended and so deliberately founded on common sense interaction with the game world that that's what led me to say, okay, what's my favorite genre of things? Well, it's it's actually not classic, like, Tolkien fantasy. It's sword and sorcery, like Conan and Grey Mouser and whatnot. So Weird North, really, it boils down to my saying, let's take the bones of Into the Odd and make a pretty deep hack deliberately aimed towards the tropes that are sword and sorcery. So there are a lot of random tables, sure, because anything I do is going to have a lot of those. But it's also about, like, the, the corruption of power and magic and the arcane. Things you should not touch. Old secrets that should remain buried. Eldritch packs with snake people that you should not make. But of course you're going to make those because it's fun and it's extremely tempting. And then you burn up like a dying star because you've done it too many times. And that's the sort of experience I want to make that. So it's a great feedback loop. Uh, so Weird North was a culmination of that trajectory from still dabbling with that kind of traveler area of how much cruft is good, how much cruft is in my way, how does emergent gameplay happen, how do I make the world compelling, uh, and I think I would be indebted to Chris McDowell for Into the Odd, which is another one of those kind of clarifying moments. Um, so doing Weird North has been a blast. It's still the thing I'm most proud of. It's the only thing I have in print, and I, I put a lot of work into it to do it. I uh, had great help from Jacob Marks to also format that for print. Um, it's nothing spectacular, but I'm very pleased with it. Yeah, I love it. Um, and uh, the Into the Odd sort of formula, mm -hmm. I have a similar feeling where I look at it and I'm almost like, I don't know that I need much else. Yeah. Um, and um, so if I wanted Conan or, or Hyperborea or something... Um, there you go, uh, yeah. and it has it has that, and then it has uh, the sometimes like the table, sometimes the, uh, the 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 specific class features. It's almost like um, it's an indulgence. It's almost just Ooh. fun, uh, and, yeah. and you know, and, and that that's something where those table that that just goes further, and um, well, I'll talk about that stuff in my review. But um, okay, so. Let's say, um, let's say that, let's help people make this journey, um, and make this journey without needing to ply the forums and, you know, and maybe folks will still make that journey, but, uh, they're either completely brand new, or they've never played a tabletop role-playing game before, uh, and a lot of people in... Our play club are internet people. They're coming from the internet and they're trying to learn about it that way. They can't find anybody to play with. Or they're coming from the brand hobby, which uh, sort of like what you were talking about, very much has, you can't do this, you have to do that, you do this, you do that. It has like a what I would call an orthodoxy of play, is what I call it. Um, and so let's say this sounds great and... They're going to buy Weird North, and they're going to do it. They're going to like, okay, I'm coming from either the brand hobby or I've never played this game before, ever. And to reframe what you're saying, um, it sounds like this is a game you can play driving in the car with your son, who's how old? Eight. All right, your eight-year-old son, one-on-one, -on -one, driving in the car with no dice. So you have this, this style of play. Could you... Right now, do that with me. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so I'd like to give it a try. If, if, if that's okay, I'd, I'd like to try it out. And then uh, and then I have some questions afterwards. You roll up to what looks like kind of a round plateau made of mud in this caked, half-baked red mud flat. It's... A, very terrible place to be. You've been without food and water for a few days. You come to this settlement and can see it's got big wooden palisades, sharp edges sticking out all over the place. There are two guys who are standing at the front gate, and you hear this rhythmic thump, thump, thump sound of every, every few minutes as you're wandering up here. And uh, as you get close enough, you can see that there are two guys up on the palisade just kind of hauling dead bodies 
into a pile outside the city. How would you do that? Oh no. I'm so hungry and thirsty. But they're also killing people. So now I have to make a choice. You can see the, the yeah the two the two guys up here can can see you at this point and they're kind of paying oh. attention to you as you wander closer to the gate. Okay, yeah, and if that's the case, then I'll try to uh, get their attention and uh, I'll say uh, uh, hello. Um, I, I uh, I'm a I'm a wanderer and I have been without food and water. Can you please help me? And they say you can come in if you pay the tithe. What is the tithe? And one of the guys holds out his arm and kind of pulls up a sleeve, and you can see a bunch of little scars on his wrist. And he says, a little blood for Thisk. Oh, wow. Okay, and then we'll stop it there, but that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah, so that there was a lot of, there was a lot of mastery going on there, um, right, uh, as a referee, which you're a very experienced referee, but, like, I got to a point where I got a little paralyzed, and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm in a situation, and, and then you, you saw, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, but it looked like you, you could tell that I had reached a point where I lacked some information, because uh, you're the one conveying it, so you're like, well, you know, you also have this information. So you proffered that new information in the fiction, then I was able to act on it. Oh, okay, well, they see me, so now I need to act on this. I need to try to, and I had to make a choice, you know. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's critical is, you know, I, I one thing I think about, and, and so this goes all the way back to, like, the play to see what happens, old story game adage, and the, you know, are we playing a plot or otherwise. I look at this. I show up to the game, I show up to run it because I want to find out what you as a player will do with what I say. Yeah, I'm definitely. Not power tripping there by any means. I'm just simply saying I do want to convey something interesting and I am here to find out what you do with it. And that's player agency. And there is no agency if there is no information. And if there right. is no information and there's no agency, there is no game. To me, that is the most important thing. If, if you are not able to make good choices, it's not because you're dumb. It's not because you're uncreative. It's because I have not given you information that you can then use to act on. Wow. And and so, yeah, for you, like, I, yeah, I could see the cue just over the video. Okay, maybe he needs more info. Uh, well, here, these guards are going to give you, you know, a little something that you can work with. But I would also say the most important thing you ever do in a role-playing game is ask questions. That's it. You could roll no dice for 18 hours but if you've asked good questions, you probably made a whole lot of progress in the game world. It's all yeah. about information. Information is agency. Agency is the game. And if those things are in a disconnect, then I think it's going to be a not very gratifying experience for most people. I, I understand there are others who just want to crunch numbers and, you know, be very tactical and very um, methodical about it. That's fine. Again, there are other games for that. But I, I lean heavily towards the... This is the game world. The world itself implies the rules of play more than something external, uh, something abstracted. So I want you to always be grounded in common sense and make informed decisions, and then I tell you what re reasonably happens as a result, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then I do it again, and we just repeat that loop. And that's how you end up with a curse on your head that takes eight months of play to go find <laughs> in fairy. And then you break open a vat of acid on your head and you're dead. Um, <laughs> and all that, all that is just emergent. It's just because people have questions. I have answers. If there's information you should have, I'm going to give it to you. If there's information you could have, but you might not be able to get, I am going to make it clear that there's something else you need to do to go find it. And that's, that's why the world becomes impactful. So every little NPC you meet might actually be critically important. Not because they are the one true chosen hero, and neither are you, but because they simply could be the guy who knows the guy who knows about this road to fairy that you need to go on because you heard that there's a curative potion there or something like that. The world is real, and the world is the rules, and that's why we show up to play with it. It's like a good faith contract, not just me and you, but all of us with the setting that we've decided to play. It all reinforces itself because information is real in that context. Yeah, wow, that's cool. Okay, um, so, Jim, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come to the tavern and to, to talk to me, and uh, 
Um, I feel like I, I feel like I could ask you questions about this for for hours. I, I really love it. Um, but uh, if someone wanted to learn more about this style, or if they wanted to uh, find your products like Weird North or Any Planet Is Earth, or if they wanted to just chat with you about this, where mm-hmm. could they do that? Um, I don't have a big social media presence or anything, so um, I think probably the place where I frequent the most for conversations like this on a casual basis is just Discord, and it's just my name. It's just Jim Parkin. You can spam me if you want, but if if you want to talk about this stuff, I'm happy to talk to you there. I'm involved in many communities there. Um, As far as my stuff, my blog that is given a lot of phase of life changes this year is less active than I'd like it to be, but there's some good stuff on there, I think. B66colboads.blogspot.com. That's K-O-B-O-L-D-S, and I know you'll have that linked. But my blog is there. Um, I'm very responsive to comments when they show up there, too. So if you've got a question on one of my articles or something like that, by all means, I'll, I'll swing around. Um, my games are on Drive RPG and itch.io. Um, I would say it's usually a, a nicer display on itch, but... You can go to either place to find them. I try and have a lot of community copies for my stuff, too, so, like, just download it. I mean, you can pay me, but I'm not making money off of this. It's just fun. So, um, really, it's that. I have those resources there. I have my blog, and then I'm generally around Discord in many places. So, by all means, hit me up. Great. Well, thanks a lot for for talking to me and hanging out, uh, Jim. Yeah, my pleasure, Ross. I appreciate the invitation. Mythic Mountains RPG is a private online play club that focuses on folk RPGs. Folk RPGs are the games that belong to all of us. They're what actually happens at a table between friends. It's their voice that has the authority on what is fun and what works for them. Weekly, we upload our games to allow others to sit in with us. The channel isn't monetized. We don't own the artwork, music, software, or games shown in these actual plays, and you can find links to their authors in the description. Like, subscribe, and share if you wish, or don't. Just like games in person, you're welcome to pull up a chair, set in, and watch some of our games. No performances, no fancy equipment, just regular people playing folk, pencil and paper role-playing games, and having a good time. We hope these games will prove a source of enjoyment to anyone just wanting to listen in, anyone looking for examples of how actual groups run and play folk RPGs, and most importantly, if you haven't found your group yet, you're welcome here at ours.